Welcome to My Comic Shop History. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. We are officially in the second half of the season, and uh, a lot of really great stuff still to come the rest of the season, uh, starting with this episode, where we will be discussing the relationship between being a fan and being a collector. So let me introduce my guests. When I decided that I was going to do an episode about being a fan, I knew that there was one guy in particular I had to have on here, one of the most passionate and vocal fans uh, that I know. So welcome back to the show, Zach Walliner. Thank you for having me, Anthony. And uh, I'm very excited to bring in uh, another new voice to my comic shop history this season, John Eric Aguilar. Thanks for having me. And you will actually be back later this season. We're doing an episode featuring uh, dads. So it's going to be you and two other gentlemen with young children, uh, and we're going to talk about how uh, just you know having a family, having children affects your your collection and your collecting habits. So uh, I'm not there yet. You guys are you're <laughs> a little bit ahead of me, but I'm I'm curious and I want to start preparing yeah, myself. Prepare, yeah, ready. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there will be a change. There definitely will be. Yeah, got to find a place to put all those pops. Put them on a nice high shelf. Pops, yes. <laughs> so before we get into uh, the crux of this episode, I do want to uh, just do a couple quick follow-ups on things from from previous episodes. So um, a couple episodes back, uh, I had uh, my fiance Stephanie and Chris Wilcock, who's owner of Undiscovered Realm and Hartsdale. Uh, they have a, a fantastic selection of pop figures, and it's something that has fascinated me endlessly <laughs> recently. And uh, so a couple of updates since that episode. Zach, you came up during our conversation. Yes. Because you, um, I guess un- until now, which we'll get to, uh, but you were very adamant you were not going to get into Pops. But you said that one thing that would get you to buy them is if they did Labyrinth. That is correct. And very recently, <laughs> they between, annou- yeah. between then and now. Yeah, Funko announced that they are doing a line of Labyrinth figures. So what was your reaction when you saw that? I was like, oh, great. Okay. <laughs> it begins, um, you know. Dark Crystal was was announced, and they showed those online uh, not too long before that, so it seemed only inevitable that it would follow suit. They're both the Jim Henson fantasy movies of the 80s. For me, collecting, I like to collect figures a lot, and we'll get more into that, I'm sure, but I like representations that look like direct representations of the people and characters and things they're supposed to be. There's been a lot lately, a boom, not only in Pops, but in recent years of all sort of hyper-stylized figures from different properties. This is one of those styles with the big heads and the beady black eyes and, you know, the scale and, and stuff like that. And they they certainly have an appeal, and I could see why, and obviously Steph did a research into, into why that is. And then there's more appeal because there's so many of them. If You know, like you touched on in that episode, I don't need to repeat pretty much everything has or will get the pop treatment my little brother's still holding out for moon knight how they haven't gotten to the him yet uh, you know hope hopefully a matter of time yeah shout out to harry walliner <laughs> you know hopefully we can get him on the show at some point i don't know if he's if he's going to be in town uh, while we're still recording but i know this poor guy he loves moon knight and they've done so many other pops but no moon knight including yet. marvel it's marvel hashtag no pops till moon knight that's that's i see essential moon knight on the uh on the shelf right now actually but he doesn't need it because he has practically every issue of any comic that he's even appeared on even if he's only in a little corner panel on one page he's a moon knight devotee but uh hopefully he gets his pop day in the sun but yeah labyrinth they're making them and i'll buy them and you know uh i was actually tempted recently to buy some pops uh, we were in target and they were on clearance like three dollars they had the peanuts characters and uh my my little daughter loves peanuts you know my wife likes them 
but uh, they didn't have Lucy. So if they had a full set, maybe I would have caved then, knowing that there was Labyrinth coming and that I would be getting it. So uh, and yeah, the Golden Girls are coming. And I was shocked that you that you didn't didn't oh wait are they out yet or not yet? I don't think so. I think maybe September. But I was because sh- I asked you. I was like, is this going to be what what gets you to buy them? And you said no. I was shocked because you and your wife are really into that. Well, yeah, we are, but it's more her thing than mine. I came into it and I I appreciate it. You know, fun sometimes cheesy 80s sitcom humor for what it's worth but do i need four little cutified figurines of old women who you know eat cheesecake and talk about their love lives you know what's but what if you bought them it's actually a valid question what if you bought them for her would you consider them part of your collection well that's the thing i mean I, i was hoping to get to this somewhere in here too it's like my collecting, I think, has gotten her more into collecting. So we each have our own collections. And even my daughter, I guess, we buy her these dolls and things. So it's almost like she has her own collection. So, like, before we had my daughter, we had a third room with stuff knowing hopefully it would one day become, you know, the baby's room. But I had a shelf. And so one shelf had all my He-Man figures from the modern He-Man line. And then, you know, they started bringing the She-Ra world into it, which is connected to that. And, you know, she, my wife loves everything 80s and especially the the female things care bears strawberry shortcake my little pony rainbow bright she-ra all that stuff so they started putting out she-ra things and she was like oh cool and i would buy every now and then they would make a she-ra character and i'd i'd buy it for her so it as much as sometimes she's like you're buying too much action figures i get justified i'm like well here's one for you now <laughs> so i get i buy a he-man you get a she-ra i get a tila you get a bow and you know on and on so it felt a little more balanced that you know we're sharing in collecting and uh, it, it kind of feels like a bond in that too but now they're all in bins and storage and stuff because we had to clear out that room but it is it is nice on the note of of sharing with your significant other so after that episode steph really started to consider more and more the investment opportunities <laughs> with these pops after talking to chris about them and she found a website where you can basically catalog your collection and it'll give you the current value of them so she spent some time doing that it's still the power ranges are still our, our most valuable ones we, we mm. thought maybe there might be something else that we had that that really jumped up in value not so much uh but those power rangers ones still still the big ones yeah you need a full team yeah, <laughs> yeah. you can't just have two but you know now the people who are like oh well they're gonna make the rest oh yeah but you retroactively need to get those ones that are rare now so what are you gonna do shell out a few hundred dollars apparently right and John Eric, you actually play into another <laughs> development <laughs> on, on the Pops front. So you posted recently about your experience subscribing to some of these Pop yes. services. Which ones do you subscribe to? Um, I get the Marvel um, Collector's Core, and um, that's the main one. Oh, and the Firefly one, which hasn't given a Pop yet. But okay. you know, I, I've gotten like Loot Crate and Geek Fuel, and every once in a while those will come with one. Right. And, you know, so I asked you what your experience was like with that, and you gave me some great information. And um, that was, I think, the last little... We didn't need much of a push, (laughs) but it was the last little push we needed to be like, all right, let's try this. And so we are now subscribers to the DC Legion of Collectors uh, service. So every other month, we get a little cardboard box. The cardboard boxes are great. They really are. They're (laughs) They're great. They're cool. It's like, like, what am I going to do with... What am I going to do with this little box? But it looks cool. The art on the art on it is nice, and it it's it's cool. But it's like I like I really have space to put a cardboard box somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think what what really sold us on it because you you brought up a great point about you know what you get in each of these boxes. So typically, at least for the DC ones, and I'm sure the others are very similar. You get a patch, a pin, a pop, usually some other Funko toy mm-hmm. that begins with a P. 
<laughs> a patch, a pin, a, a patch. Pop. Yes, that's true. But yeah. on the other ones, though, they're uh, the like dwarves, dwarves or the mystery minis or yeah. something. Usually, the P trend ends ends there. <laughs> uh, a comic book and a, a t-shirt. The yeah. t-shirts actually have been very impressive. I've yeah. been a fan of those. It's hit or miss sometimes. Like with the Marvel box, there's been a couple of cool ones. Like the most recent one came with a pretty cool uh, Spider-Gwen shirt. Okay. So I like that one. Um, I prefer the ones when they're not pop related. So okay. They're just uh, a Marvel character. Like I've gotten a couple of the ones that just feature like Thor as a pop and it's like all right kind of cute but I'm not really going to wear that outside (laughs) right well we just got the literally yesterday we got the Suicide Squad box and the t-shirt for that is the Suicide Squad but in pop form so that you might not like but what was cool was when we subscribed they gave us the option of ordering the two boxes that we had missed and those had the exclusive pops that I really wanted the armored Batman from Batman v Superman and Jay Garrick from the CW Flash show Mm -hmm. So we got those, and those shirts were cool. The um, the Batman v Superman one was Batman and Superman, and this they were like in, in boxing. Yeah, it was cool. I liked it a lot. They had a similar one with uh, the Civil War, like oh, okay. uh, Cap and Iron Man. Um, and the, I saw the one of the ones was like a Green Arrow shirt or something. Yes, that was the that, DC that one TV looked one. Pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, we've been happy with it so far. The Suicide Squad one's probably been our least favorite of of the three. But we thought it'd be an interesting experiment. I mean, it's, so it's $25. And yeah. what I was getting at is just, you know, the value of it in terms of what you get. If there's something you don't like, as you pointed out, you can sell it. Yeah. And we even just looked at it in terms of those exclusive pops. Because for to try to find those pops on their own on eBay or whatever, you're paying more than you would pay for the box. Exactly. That That's one of the reasons I did it. Is like I don't really collect pops, but I like, you know, certain characters. So if I were to get it, I'd keep it. And if I don't, I could flip it on eBay and get my money back. So I'm not really losing anything. So I figure, why not? <laughs> right. Now, Zach, I know you would not subscribe to that. Probably for many reasons. The right. primary one being, I think, that you don't like the... The mystery. You don't like not knowing what you're going to get, which is interesting to me. I guess obviously it depends on what you're talking about, because when it comes to movies and TV shows, you don't like spoilers at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, John Eric, I don't know if you know, Zach, he doesn't even like that the movie studios reveal the full titles of the movies. He thinks that that should be kept until you go into the theater and you're sitting down and you see what the subtitle is because he thinks it gives too much away. Oh, well, that's hardcore. <laughs> I, I don't like spoilers either. <laughs> Anthony is, is joking. It's joking for, about for the, you, la- the last part. For yeah. your okay, viewers on that part. <laughs> no, that's, sometimes I don't think they need subtitles. <coughs> Dawn of Justice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, serious. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, look, I like going in fresh. I really liked what Star Wars uh, Force Awakens did. They really did keep things close to the vest. They didn't mm-hmm. let things leak. And trailers showed you just enough to get excited without really giving all the story away. And sometimes yeah. trailers don't give you enough to get you excited or they give away everything. And you feel, okay, well, I do I need to see the movie now? Um, but mystery boxes, you're making a purchase and it's you know, collectible things. And if I'm just getting little trinkets and junk that I don't want and maybe I can have to sell where I'm still having trouble selling things I got otherwise, um, you know, it's it's not for me. I like to know what I'm going to get. And, you know, and a subscription is a big commitment too for an ongoing thing. Like if I knew, okay, there was like some labyrinth box, maybe it was Loot Crate or something. But it means, uh, do I have to subscribe just to get the Labyrinth box? I can't just pick, okay, well, I'll, I'll buy that Labyrinth box. You can do month to month. Yeah. Okay. You can do month to month. Um, the It's the same price whether you do it month to month versus yearly. But if you're an annual subscriber, you get a gift on your first year anniversary. I don't know what sort of gifts there there are. Have any of them hit one year yet, even? Um, 
I didn't do the annual. I okay. did. I do like I think three month bursts just to see what's going on. Um, so I think for the Marvel one, it was like a statue or something like that. Well, I think on that note, let's get into you know really the heart of the episode here: the relationship between being a fan and being a collector. And John Eric, thank you because you know I so I plan these episodes out. I plan the season out pretty far in advance, but uh, inevitably you know things shift and schedules don't work out. And so, uh, basically, there was an episode that I needed to record <laughs> within a certain window of time, and I, I needed a, a new topic. And so I put the call out on Facebook, and um, you responded. A couple of our buddies in Virginia, uh, Dan and Jason, they chimed in as well, so thank you to, to them, too. Uh, but you guys kind of started a conversation about, you know, changes to characters, and, you know, we'll really get into that in, in, in a bit, but how that can influence buying behavior. And then that really got me thinking about just being a fan in general and how that influences us you know, so much. So, you know, again, thank you for, for contributing to that. And that's how we, you know, we ended up here. Uh, Zach, at the top of this, I mentioned how vocal and passionate you are. Uh, you know, without fail, anytime uh, a new image is released or a trailer or anything like that, you are right there, specifically with, um, you know, the, the TV and movie adaptations. Sure. Uh, you are right there to offer your, your commentary. And it's uh, yeah. usually uh, costume centric i feel like i've created a monster i mean for people who have listened and watched the ar documentary you know about zach's moment where he talked about the wings on captain america's helmet but yeah i feel like i created a monster here it's it's uh well i would have been like that with, i would have been like that whether you recorded it or not it's that just is true that you gave me a platform and then also maybe i've played it up a little bit since then because it became this moment i was known for so you know anytime something happens with captain america i have to mention you know his wings or lack thereof Specifically with respect to the adaptations, uh, we had a great chat last season on the show. It was episode 10, uh, Ultimate Kooky Quartet, uh, where Zach, you, me, and and a couple other guys, uh, we talked a lot about the changes that that happened when going from comic books to to film and TV. In a lot of ways, I think this episode is sort of a spiritual sequel to that one. So if anyone kind of wants more... uh, Along those lines, you know, please go back and and check out the episode 10 of last season. So in planning today's episode and thinking about the relationship between being a fan and being a collector, I guess I I think of things like collecting coins or collecting stamps where I don't think being a fan is as much of an element. And maybe coin collectors or stamp collectors might disagree. I don't know. I don't have that firsthand experience. But... Uh, it just seems to me, on on the face at least, that there's you know a difference between collecting things like that, and you know collecting comic books and merchandise featuring characters who, the characters change, storylines change, and so how does that influence us as collectors? And just to kind of kick us off, you know, one of the questions that I wanted to throw out there was, you know, how do you guys describe yourselves as fans and as collectors? And sort of beyond that, can you be one and not the other? I mean, technically, yeah, you you can. You can just like a character and not buy anything featuring that character. But do you think you can really be a great fan and not collect or be a great collector but not be a fan of it? I think it would be really odd if you were a collector of this stuff without being a fan of it. (laughs) It would be very removed from what what it's all about. I think you would really be the odd man out of these communities to just be a collector because then maybe – Maybe it's a business thing, then, and maybe you're just looking to make a, a buck because you see what the hot trends are, and then you want to wait until they increase in value and sell it, but there's no passion there, and that seems very hollow and stuff, but, I mean, if that's that's what you do and it, you're successful at it, more power to you, but, you know, when you ask, you know, fan or collector first, I would definitely say I'm a fan first, collector second, you know. I don't especially identify as either, but, you know, like in general like uh, but you know they're labels you know we have labels for reasons but you know i don't apply 
either especially to myself, but I would definitely say fan comes first because it is, you find things you like in this world and you become passionate about them and then the collecting is a way of expressing that and appreciating that. So, you know, whether, you know, some people just wear a t-shirt of a company they like or a character they like, you know, if you want something and these, you know, comics especially, they're an ongoing serialized format. So you have to collect to keep up with it. So if you don't collect at least the comics themselves, well, then you, you're not up to speed on that character or group of characters or whatever it is. Uh, but then, you know, you can choose to take it for, further with buying other, you know, related things, action figures and statues and whatever other connected uh, means of expressing that passion are. But definitely, I think, you know, you can be a fan without being a collector, obviously, because you could just, you know, check out the things they're involved with here or there, dip your toe see the movies when they make the movies or the TV shows, but being a collector without a, a fan is very odd uh, notion to me. And John Eric, what about you? Fan first, collector first? Fan first, definitely. Um, in terms of just collecting for collecting sake, uh, that's like kind of like hoarding to me. <laughs> it pretty much is like, why are you going to buy something if you don't like it? Um, unless, like, like Zach just said, uh, if you're going to flip it. Um, but then those are the people everyone doesn't like because you're making it harder for the, the, the true fans to get their hands on the stuff they really like. Um, so I definitely say uh, fan first. Um, I enjoy getting the stuff that I get because um, I, I enjoy the character so much and I want to have that piece that, you know, if, I, if a fellow you know, geek collector or friend comes over and it's like, oh, that's awesome, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I, you know, I like looking at, you know, the, the I have like a, a little model of um, Serenity from the Firefly series like right on my TV stand and it's like, that's awesome to have there and um i just enjoy getting stuff like that so definitely uh fan first and then if i have the money to get something i'll collect it or the space you know so right now it's lim limited um but i enjoy buying stuff that I, I like i couldn't imagine doing it without enjoying the property right now that makes a lot of sense um so in in thinking about this relationship between being a fan and being a collector and thinking about how our fandom shapes our buying habits I think one of the main things that we come to is is change when and specifically on, on the comic book front where companies will change a character and this can take a number of forms so it can just be a storyline development you know the example that I sent to you guys ahead of time was you know if you were a Green Lantern fan in the 90s and you loved Hal Jordan and you bought everything Green Lantern related from comics to toy statues whatever you know and then you're reading the storyline where he turns evil and he becomes parallax you know, how does that affect you as a collector? Do you keep do you keep buying and reading? Do you sell what you have? I mean, you know, how does that influence you? And there are, have been so many examples before and since. I mean, probably the most recent one is, you know, Captain America being revealed to be a Hydra agent, which was subsequently... The next issue. Yeah. <laughs> right. They revealed was basically a fake out, right? Well, it's it's not exactly. It's the thing is, you know, they said in advance they have to do the, you know, the putting on a face. It's not a scroll. It's not mind yeah. control and stuff. And it's technically not, you know, air quotes, you know, mind control, but it's a cosmic cube manipulating his memories. So he believes that that's his upbringing. Okay. And so they say the story is exploring Steve Rogers. Like, is it you know the i forget how they phrase it. is it the man or you know i forget how they phrase it but they're saying like is he inherently heroic or something like that can mm -hmm. he overcome you know this implanted false memories and you know be a true hero or is it about how he's programmed that makes him 
who he is, I guess, is, is the thing. And I'm interested in it. I picked up that first issue because of, you know, the whole thing. It worked. They got me. I checked out the first issue, and I was interested. I was, I was unhappy with it, w- along with droves of people. But I also had a brain, and, you know, a lot of people reacted with such vitriol, and it, it got to the point where people were saying it anti-Semitic, because Hydra's, uh, you know, directly equated with Nazis, even if it's not 100% always been that way in the comics, and that Joe Simon and Jack Kirby were you know, Jewish guys who created this hero to fight, you know, the Nazis. Um, but I, I wouldn't take things all that far. But, you know, it was unhappy because it seemed like, you know, again, one of those things where, you know, the people at Marvel have to plant their feet and say, nope, this is really it. It's not a fake out. And then it, it there's some loophole around it. But I knew there would be some loophole around it. And so I, it was a wait-and-see attitude. I was unhappy because they insist that this is how it is. And it makes you seem like they're just kind of crapping on his entire 75-year history to say, well, no. And then I, I was—I think I was in the shower one day, and I was just thinking about it. And I'm like, so young Steve Rogers is there. And they're like, okay, but you got to be really good about this. You're going to spend your whole life fighting these guys all right and you in your you're gonna be the one to volunteer for this experiment okay and they're gonna make you our ultimate Aryan soldier and you're gonna you're gonna on the surface seem like that but one day maybe after you fall on ice and then you're thawed out and you're working with other costumed people somewhere down the line and it's your whole goal and you fight these guys <laughs> to their end. but then one day at random with only one person maybe around to, to hear you you're going to kick a hero out of a plane, and then you're going <laughs> to reveal the, your true alliance years and decades from now. But uh, but until then, you act like you hate us and everything we stand for. But then, and only then, reveal your truth. Because that's what it seemed like. There was some, like, like he was just the best at at playing, you know, you know, uh, you know, hiding his true allegiance this whole time because that's what they made it seem like. Yeah. Like it's just, oh well, him and his mother, you know, they they signed up early before he became Captain America, and he's just been this way that whole time. So I'm glad they didn't carry it out too. That they did it. The next issue, some people again, you got to have a brain with this stuff. People were accusing Marvel of backpedaling by the next issue. And they don't understand how yeah, comics how far, work. How far in advance these <laughs> and things these are plotted out. That like, oh god, everything is a fight, and accusations and finger pointing online these days. And you know, like I didn't realize until Mike pointed out it. Like I'm proud of myself on that last episode we were on, where he talks about how I engage with people, you know, civilly online. Going back to Captain America, I like how you specify that you were in the shower when you were you were thinking about all of this. I didn't know if that was if that was gonna there was gonna be a follow up. to No, that it was end. just sometimes that's where I do my deep <laughs> thinking because you know you're just isolated and on your own. And I was just thinking about like how convoluted the plan would have to be if that was literally the truth. Now, now we revealed after seventy years of history and of what you think you know about Captain America is about to be turned on. <laughs> you know, and then it's like whoa, like the whole plot involved in what he was you know trained to do to keep it a secret it's just you know my head goes in all directions in the shower i'm just you know i'm in there and i'm just there to clean myself there's not much excitement <laughs> going on so you know you come up with with you know i've come up with a lot of creative uh, ideas while i'm in the shower that's, i think i think that's true of a lot of people i don't think I'm, that's so crazy i'm trying to think if i can work shower into the title of this episode let's not <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, Captain America is probably, our, you know, our most recent example. And, and there are a lot of cases of, of storyline or character changes. I mean, I was in thinking about, you know, my own experiences, uh, and I'm sure I've mentioned this on the show before. In fact, I know I have. But when DC did their whole New 52 initiative, 
And, uh, you know, they made a number of changes to Superman, who's my favorite character. And he was no longer married to Lois. She didn't know his secret identity. His adoptive parents were dead. And those were all elements that, you know, I felt put the man in Superman and, and made me such a fan of the character. And so I think that was probably one of the reasons why I actually haven't read any of the new 52 Superman. Uh, then, on the other hand, you do have other changes, and, and I know this next part, you know, can be a little little touchy, a little sensitive for people, so, you know, we will uh, obviously do our best to discuss it respectfully, and, you know, the position of this show is always one of, you know, <laughs> tolerance and inclusion, but along those lines, you do have, whether it's through reboot or, or retcon, uh, you know, changing a character, or just the storyline development, you know, changing a character's race or gender or sexual orientation, either by changing the character itself, usually through a, a reboot or a retcon, or replacing a, a certain character with somebody else in the costume who, who you know, has, you know, who is, is different in, in any of those ways. Um, so, you know, I think all of these things are, are kind of things that can affect us as fans and as collectors. So, I'll toss it to you guys. I mean, what what examples come to your mind of, of changes to characters in any of those categories that have affected your buying habits? Stanley said fans don't really want change. They want the illusion of change. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's very prescient, even if it's maybe not ideal, uh, you know, way of storytelling. But it's like, you know, there is sort of this status quo thing. These are an ongoing medium. And if they, like, were to permanently kill off a character we would never see that character again in these stories and that's why you know death has become this joke of a revolving door mm -hmm. in comics but you know if it tells a good story and it's done well mm -hmm. then you know you get something out of it and you know and then you get to see that character again cuz if if you know superman stayed dead after death of superman well they would have lost a lot of money because yeah. every superman fan would have jumped off ship and, you know, the fans would be very upset because, well, I want to read more Superman. No, we killed them off. Sorry, guys. There's no more Superman, you know. Yeah, they're not going to leave money on the table like that. <laughs> right. Um, but um, segueing into what you were saying before, so I know one of your favorite stories, and I actually liked it too, uh, the, the Spider-Man, the clone saga. Uh, yeah, that was a major, me -Man. That, that was a major thing, and there was lots of changes there, and I, I was maybe, well, like, 13, 14 when I read it, and I was just like, this, you know, was awesome at the time. Now, granted, I didn't like the ending to it, and I actually dropped Spider-Man shortly after the ending, because I remember issue 75, when Green Coblin, he kills Ben Riley. spoiler alert for a 20-plus-year-old <laughs> story, uh, and I was... You know, so mad because I was like, you could have done more Ben Riley stories. I think you could have still had him there. And then at the end of the issue, at uh, Mary Jane loses the baby, and it was just like that upset me too. I was like, how can you do this to us? And so I was really upset, and I stopped <laughs> reading uh, Spider-Man for the most part. Um, but luckily, then Ultimate Spider-Man started around that time, and I went to that. So that was my main Spider-Man fix. You know, other than through like the Avengers books later on, um, Ultimate Spider-Man was my main Spider-Man, and then they walled up killing him <laughs> just a few years ago and there was a whole change with you know now we're gonna have a, a black and latino spider-man and honestly that didn't bother me i'm like okay cool that's something different you know more diversity and a lot of people were upset about it just like oh you're gonna you know have uh, changes race and this and that i'm like you know the, the, most of the characters are white you know there, there's a big chunk of the uh, readership that you know is not white <laughs> if not the majority of it so it's like you know you want to cater to different fan bases so i wasn't so m much upset that they were um bringing in a, a, a new spider-man it was more that 
I was upset that they were killing Ultimate Peter Parker um, because I thought there were so many more stories they could have told. I think Ultimate Spider-Man was a fun book, but they jumped the gun on so many things sometimes, like killing Gwen Stacy so early. And they kind of rectified it with some convoluted, I don't even understand how she came back <laughs> thing. Yeah, I, I was like, all right, they really they must have realized they messed up and they brought her back early. But then there was the whole thing with Peter was living with, uh, well, I should say Human Torch and Iceman were living with Peter. And that was so much fun. I was like, oh, it's kind of like the, a version of the Amazing Friends and you could have had years of fun stories with those characters and they kind of just like tossed it to the side it was like oh no we got to get to death of spider-man and we got to introduce this new this new spider-man so we're gonna eliminate all these potentially fun stories to you know introduce this new character and get this audience that we really want to get and it was just like couldn't you somehow have done both like in the end i wound up enjoying the stories and i like really really like miles spider-man but i was upset at the time like i said not because of miles but because of your tossing all these potential great stories up to the side i think before i toss it to zach i just think it's fantastic that you stopped reading spider-man at the end of the clone saga i feel like most of the fans <laughs> they lost were probably <laughs> earlier on but that, that uh, is true <laughs> uh, that's yeah. great it holds a very special place in my heart as well zach yeah i was just actually going to pick up with the miles thing um because i i in in this sort of a case thing am i'm definitely much more for creating a new character mm-hmm. and you know widening that audience there this is a universe marvel specifically with thousands of characters as is something like star wars or dc or things like that that are just so populated that there's room for new ones where you know miles i only have so much exposure to him i read the spider-man initial crossover where they first had the two of them meet the 616 which is the classic marvel chronology continuity uh you know peter parker met ultimate miles where he's like blown away because he gets to meet a living peter parker I, I'm glad they instead introduced a new character, for instance, in this case, Miles, and he's likable, and he can now he literally coexists with with yep. Peter in the uh, in the mainstream universe. There are two Spider Men. Peter's a successful businessman now, and he's worldwide, and uh, Miles is you know more local New York stuff, and there's room for both of them. And right now, you know, in the comics, all those sort of headlining Marvel heroes are someone else pretty much so captain america is sam wilson who is the falcon though now cap is also there doing his thing he's got his powers restored after being an old man for a little while uh, depowered uh thor is a woman mm-hmm. you know i don't i won't spoil her identity for anyone else uh, you know who hasn't caught up on that yet but there's thor who's a woman which that i was kind of bothered with because they're like no she's not she thor or woman thor she's thor i'm like well but that's his name <laughs> that he is Thor, but so he's not worthy of the, the hammer, so he's somebody different, and she's Thor, and he's just called the Odins and whatever. That seemed a little odd. I'm, you know, the the story behind it, and she's worthy, to, and now they changed, you know, the hammer's inscription, so it's more gender neutral, and that's all well and good, and she's fine as a character. And now I think they're even doing another Iron Man who's a woman. I yes, think it was, yes. is being introduced, and that's all fine, as you know. But you know, if they just rebooted it and it's like Tina Stark, and you know, it's we Tony didn't exist in this reality. That would be annoying. That would be annoying again. But but the same thing. I will say to just you know make sure people don't think it's just you know I'm some I'm some you know intolerant racist person. <laughs> I get just annoyed, uh, you know about these differences as about Cap's wings or Thor not wearing his helmet when he's in battle. That he wears yeah. it one time in a coronation ceremony as like look fans there's his helmet. Okay now you'll never see it again. So you know I get bothered by all those nitpicks of 
the people on screen, not representing the people on the page. You bring up a number you know, of issues, and I want to kind of unpack them a little bit. So I think you bring up a great point that being opposed to some of these changes doesn't necessarily mean you are a sexist or a racist. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are people out there who, who do yeah. fall into that category, but that doesn't necessarily need to be the case. And yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out. I mean, comic book fans in general, <laughs> not, not necessarily known for embracing any kind of change. Yeah. So I, you know, very I think, protective of yeah, our, very <laughs> but so. also a very diverse group. Yeah, that too. We yeah. come from all, all right. walks of life. And along that, that note of diversity, I mean, I think, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're starting from the point that uh, of recognizing that, you know, increased diversity in comics and in their adaptations is a positive thing. I mean, historically, a lot of these characters have been one type of thing and and you you want characters that reflect the diversity and and the different kinds of of people and ideas that are in the world and for you know people of diversity who are reading comics and watching these things i would expect that you know people would like to see themselves represented in these things and not just one type of representation sure but then of course the question becomes you know what's the best way to do it so you know you mentioned and you know you both talked about miles morales and that's an interesting example where you are you know, replacing the existing Spider-Man, Peter Parker, with someone of color. Uh, uh, sort of a counterexample to that that comes to mind is Alan Scott, the Golden Age Green Lantern. So that was a character who, uh, for you know, decades of, of continuity, was a heterosexual character. And then when DC uh, did their New 52 uh, relaunch, uh, Alan Scott was re-envisioned as a homosexual. So that was taking a character not... They could have introduced a different Green Lantern who was, there are a lot of Green Lanterns, you mm-hmm. know, they could have introduced a new Green Lantern who was gay, but instead, you know, they took an existing character and, and changed that. So I guess sort of what, what do you think the arguments are for and against doing that versus just, you know, replacing the character with someone who, who would be gay in that case? Yeah. That's a tough one because um, for most changes in comic books, we know they're pretty much temporary. Death the Superman, we know he's going to come back. When you change out a character, we know Odinson will be Thor again. We know Steve Rogers will eventually be Cap again. We knew that you know Doc Ock, Spidey, you know Superior Spider-Man, Peter was going to come back again. So different changes like that, we know eventually you know they'll run their course, maybe two three years of books, and things will eventually go back to status quo. Uh, the Alan Scott thing is funny. I was thinking the Iceman example. Sure, that's yeah. what I was just going to mention um, on the uh, Marvel DC front. guy over I, here. I don't, yeah. I don't, but I heard about that. That one, I just was just like, all right, it's a reboot, you know. So it's like, all right, you know, they're making him gay now, but it's not the same character from the '40s or '50s or whatever. The Iceman thing, I think, bothered me a little bit more because they're trying to say he was ever since 1960 or whatever that yeah. he has always been it's the same and, version, and it's just like how. You know, everything else you can flip. Um, you can change the gender. You can change this and that because it's all going to be temporary. You're going to piss a lot of people off if, if someone eventually comes back. Oh, wait, he, no, he wasn't gay. He's like, well, you can't. Everyone's going to argue. Well, you right. can't really flip that. So he either always was or he n- wasn't. How do you explain that? So this is like a change that can't really be easily reversed. I mean, I get it. You know, I was like, oh, really? That's what they're going to say. But, uh, you know, I, I really doubt that they're going to retcon that because then, yeah, probably th- then every person oh. who is empowered by this original founding X-Men being, uh, you know, uh, gay, they're going to feel that, you know, Marvel's, you know, spitting on them, basically. No, we faked you out. We wanted you to buy our comics for a certain amount of time. So I don't think they would definitely go back on that. But, you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, maybe if you read between the lines, it can make sense. You know, yeah, he would joke around with ladies and this and that. And, you know, I remember, I think I read the issue where it happened because, he, you know, the thing was it was the young 
mm-hmm. Iceman from the past, yes. who, who was it? Jean Grey peeped into his mind, young Jean Grey. And then he's like, but then why is my old self not? And then they kind of confronted him on it. And he's like, well, you know, I mean, it's it's tough enough being just a mutant, you know? And so he's got this, this pile-on feeling. And, you know, maybe if you read back every issue uh, with Iceman in it from his debut... Maybe you could see it working, or maybe there would be things that directly contradict it. But then again, you know, I mean, you know, people say, you know, sexuality is kind of like a spectrum. It's not, you know, a hard, you know, black and white thing. And um, on this topic, too, it's funny because there's a recent thing that might have been unexpected because just another thing, and not a, not a fandom I'm especially part of, but Star Trek, they, they're, they're, they got their reboot, you know, they're three films oh, yeah. deep almost. And they've said now Sulu is going to be gay, right. and it's om- it's a, it's kind of a tribute to the original Sulu, George Takei, who's a very vocal activist, and you know uh, he speaks up, uh, you know, for you know race as well as you know homosexuality and all sorts of stuff, and you know, and he likes to post a lot of goofy nonsense on Facebook, but mm. <laughs> but that's besides <laughs> the point. But of all people, he was not happy with yes, it. Yeah, that, so that was article. really it was interesting. interesting. So you see, then he takes the side of a fan and well it was this way and leave it this way because that's how the creators intended it Mm -hmm. so so it's kind of an interesting you know little twist there because you think well oh they're making my character represent me and a greater part of the population that's underrepresented but he feels no i was there at the beginning of this and this creator gene roddenberry he envisioned the character this way and this is kind of going against and maybe he's a little bit you know people think he's sort of you know uh biting the hand that feeds him but you know you can see it from both sides that he can say well it's not about me it's bigger than me it's the character and the mythology and what it means to fans and all and you know maybe he is honored too but at the same time he says well look Sulu's this way and you're changing it maybe for the wrong reasons he believes I don't I don't know all the ins and outs of the argument again I don't follow Star Trek but it was interesting seeing that 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 flip of it where he felt no you should leave well enough alone and you know i'm a gay man but sulu the character is not so don't change it just for the sake of it but again you know there's all those little fiction rules where this is a new reality it's a new version of sulu so the decay sulu can still be what he was and then now the new uh, john cho is that his name Yeah. Yeah. yeah john cho sulu is gay and you know again it's probably gonna be a passing little thing from what I heard in the movie just to acknowledge it it's not going to be like he's over, over the top flamboyant in a, in a cliched stereotype because that would just you know make people roll their eyes but and it would be very inconsistent with what we've seen from the, the yeah. previous movies but yeah. yeah the Sulu example is fascinating I'm glad you brought that up because that was something that I was thinking about uh, and very timely and it's you know yeah. just happened within mm-hmm. the last week or so is it the case that or do companies think it's the case that changing a character versus introducing a new character sort of makes a stronger showing demonstrates a greater commitment to diversity um i think it's just that you have an established character with an established fan base and once again the dollar signs rule and it's just like we know this character is known and there's gonna be merchandise you can make money off a character whereas if you introduce a brand new character then 
who knows that person you know it doesn't have that that many 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 years of history to it so i think that's the argument why comic book companies and movie companies you know they make these changes as they do because it's money talks unfortunately you know it's so you know it's harder to introduce a new character i mean but it can be done look at the miles morales thing like we just said before he is totally existing within the the universe so i it can be done it is it harder to do uh i'm sure it is um but i think that has a lot to do with it yeah but like you said i think they probably do think that if it's with the established icons people will appreciate it more or on the opposite side hate it more (laughs) so i think you know they feel like if they just okay well now here's a new character who's this it could be like well okay well what's the significance this is a stranger we don't know but at the same time those sort of things make waves like miles morales and kamala khan is huge you know i I only know so much about her but i hear that she's super huge the new miss marvel who's of like uh is she pakistani i think i think she's like a muslim and she's pakistani and you know people love her like she's sort of representative of that classic young spider-man as well where she's that sort of a character that you know young people can relate to as well as you know the other you know diverse aspects of her so it does show it can be done there are clear examples it's got to be done well you know going back to i guess sort of my follow-up question to to what i just asked you know going back to the miles morales example right so yes they introduced a new character who was half black and half latino they didn't just reimagine Peter Parker as as someone of color, but they still made Miles Morales Spider Man. He mm-hmm. could have been, in addition to Spider, he could have yeah. been Scarlet Spider, for example. We would have loved that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I guess I guess the same question there: Does it give it more legitimacy if the character assumes the identity of the icon as opposed to being given a new identity? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Having that title is different because then I think those groups would feel undermined if you came up with new titles from so now you know i've heard with spider-man people of all you know backgrounds and colors and whatever always uh, could i easily identify with him because he wears that mask mm-hmm. so you could always imagine it was yourself under that mask i mean unless you, you you know you read the issues and you really see that he was peter parker who's a white guy from queens but you could play pretend and that's fine and that's and that's great no matter what you could be beneath the mask so if someone takes a picture of you in your full-on spider-man costume you look like Spider-Man, or at least as much as a cheap costume will allow. But yeah, having the titles do make a difference because you could say he's Spider-Man and not like, you know, Spider-Side character or whatever. So, you know, it, it, I, I definitely think people would feel like less than if you came up with a, a new name for a character that was basically an equivalent to the one we like it's like no but you're not quite spider-man you're different looking so we're going to call you spider something else that would be you know a little little bit unfair you know this calls to mind again the discussion that we had last season about the changes that are made in adaptations and kind of what we got at in that episode was that you know there are certain elements of a character that are intrinsic to them and that you you do want to see preserved and other things that maybe there you do have a little bit more flexibility so again going back to the alan scott example you know in the original continuity i can't say that i've actually read many of especially the really old stories i mean i read his jsa adventures from you know the Mm -hmm. jeff johns run Mm -hmm. um but you know his his he had love interests you know female love interests but it's not like that was a huge part of his character whereas you know you take you know oliver queen for example you know (laughs) a noted womanizer uh, you know, if if they were to make a similar change with him, I feel like that would take away an element of the character that that has been more prominent. Okay, yeah, I definitely think it's important to preserve the core of the character. That's yeah. where you know if if a story 
by a, you know any you know creative team has done right or wrong if that character doesn't seem like that character well why are you telling that story with that character make it make a different character and tell that story like that's what got people so angry about the captain america hydra thing because yeah. it was the antithesis <laughs> of who he is and who he's been and what he's represented uh you know throughout his entire history of just being that symbol for america to rally gets to fight the you know the fascists and the evil in that so to say he's been that the whole way it's oh right you know, throw away the the whole whole thing so if you get the basics down there's room for little leeway here and there like you know and even going to peter parker right now he, peter parker is successful <laughs> he's got a uh you know this whole industry where he's like on par with tony stark as this leader of this tech company and you know peter parker's struggle was always you know paying the bills and balancing his love life and this and that but he's successful but he still has problems and he still you know has got that parker luck in the new context and stuff so it's not really destroying it and you have to have room for some change to tell new stories otherwise they should come up with okay we're going to go to issue 700 and then we're out of ideas because this character's been al around for f you know 50 60 years and there's only so many stories we can tell with this character and these companies are not going to want to do with that i mean as long as people are able to tell stories with these characters as long as people are buying them i think they should but yes they've got to stick to the 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 key things that make those characters otherwise it's like why bother i suppose you know one of the last things that i would i would want to ask you guys well, you know while we're on this this note here is you know we've been talking about all these changes to characters and again these changes take so many forms you know there are many reasons for them and and you know the ways the companies go about them are always maybe a little bit different um, but are there any examples that come to your mind of how these change, and, and regardless of what kind of change it was, but how any of these changes have affected you as as collectors, or just affected buying habits generally? I don't know that any change has really swayed me so much. It's usually been more real life outside factors that that affect on that. Like I followed Superior Spider Man, where I was really hesitant on that because again. <laughs> You know, Marvel and, and people, Dan Slott and everyone, they're like, yeah, well, Peter's dead. Yep, we, you know, that, this is really it. You know, okay, we know he's not, and especially with the movie coming out. Uh, but it was actually a really good read, uh, you know, just to see the premise of what it would be like for Doc Ock to infiltrate the body, you know, of, of Peter Parker. And he's, you know, uh, inhabiting him, and he's trying to be better at being Peter Parker and being Spider-Man than the real Peter Parker was. If it's a fascinating read and you could tell a good story, then then I'm for it. But uh, m like I said, more real world things uh, have affected you know my buying habits. It's it's amount of time, money, and space, which are all you know fairly limited. Like you know I'm sure you'll get into it with the other guys on the dads issue. You know I have a one year old, and I only have so much space in our apartment to store things. I have you know seven or eight long boxes, and they're in outside storage. They're you know a place I pay to keep stuff which you know it's not just the, my comics it's other things after my family moved and I, you know need to have another uh, space for them but uh, that and you know I, I buy digitally for that reason for space and just you know the, the the money involved I know we've mostly focused on changes to characters and, and how that affects us but are, do you have any examples of things you know beyond just that because I was thinking about it myself and uh, Smallville comes to mind my favorite television show I own all the individual seasons on DVD. I bought the complete series set on DVD. If it ever comes out on Blu-ray, I'll buy that. <laughs> uh, I even bought, there's this replica prop, replica store, and they created uh, you know, Clark's Red Jacket. I own that. That's uh, hanging in the closet. Yet, 
when DC published Smallville season 11, which was the official incontinuity continuation of the show, uh, I avoided it. Like, I actively avoided really? it. And there were a number of people from AR who read it and they loved it and, and they really recommended it. But for me, it, I mean, maybe it seems counterintuitive, but I just, I was such a fan of the show, but I just felt like the show is its own thing in its own medium. Mm-hmm brought to life in a different way than on the page and I just I, I really had a hard time it's been out now a few years and I just I can't bring myself to 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 you know experience it because it had such a perfect ending too <laughs> it's funny because I mentioned <laughs> it's funny you say because I mentioned that to Steph ahead of time I was like oh, I think I'll talk about that and she said well you know did you like the ending and I was like no not really so yeah you would think that I'd be like okay this is an opportunity to redeem yeah. the ending but I guess I still just feel like for better or worse, like the show was the show from beginning to end, and that's it. It's interesting. The, the only thing I can think of that jumps to mind similar is uh, the Age of Apocalypse. It was, uh, it's probably my favorite comic storyline. Um, just, you know, it was at the height of my, you know, X Men and comic reading before. Shortly after, I kind of dropped off for a while until, you know, I came to alternate realities and I saw like a wizard magazine with Magneto holding the world and it was House of M and I'm like, Magneto in charge? That sounds like an interesting premise and that's when I got back in. It was maybe like 10 years later where I was not really into comics at all in between. But with Age of Apocalypse specifically, I thought that had such a perfect ending. Like, you know, unlike what we think of Smallville, I thought it really did have a perfect ending. And then like for the 10th or, or something anniversary, um... Marvel, you know, it's like, oh, people really love the Age of Apocalypse. Let's bring that back. And they started telling new stories in that timeline. And I read a little bit of the, the initial thing they did for the 10th anniversary, but I'm like, why bring back the Age of Apocalypse? It was so good and perfect as it was. And now you're telling new stories with that. You know, I, you know, that's companies and business. You, you see people like something, you want to give them more of it. Sometimes I'm really of the mindset of leave well enough alone and i've heard since then there were some good stories i haven't got a chance to read them but like i said i'm less inclined to because i just liked it as it was that storyline i have every issue of that storyline and that was like the first thing where i did get every issue i remember you know he using bar mitzvah money (laughs) on on picking that up and uh so yeah but just that they brought it back and it seemed like it was you know kind of degraded and kind of not the same I was not really keen on that. I actually just told um, one of the writers at the time, big writers in the X-Men world, Scott Lobdell, I saw him at this convention. I told him it was so great, and I just wish they they left it alone. What did he say? Um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but, uh, you know, I think he might have been involved in some form with that... that uh, that coming back of it, I forget exactly what he said. Right, but thanks a lot, kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, you know, he was, he was very, you know, grateful, and I told him all about that. So, uh, so it was cool, you know, to be able to express my, uh, you know, my feelings on that issue to the writer. A l- with a lot of people who are fans of any one thing, I think one's childhood, you know, can play a part because you know that's when you were taking the world in and you were taking in all this stuff, and a lot of these things are, you know, aimed at children. So I do think it's. As much as it's about making money, it is cool how many different companies are embracing things from when we were kids because we're now of the age of money spending. So with figures and things, a lot of things brought to life from our childhood now. I mean, it's also expensive. Like they just now they've got these like pretty much six inch scale Ninja Turtles that are based specifically on the cartoon, hyper articulated, alternate head expressions. They're like from this 
company in Asia or something, and they're 60 bucks a pop, and it's like $240 to have the team. I'm like, I can't justify that, but they look so good because the ones we have the year, like Playmates released, you know, classic style one, but they they were they were I, first they were hard to find, but secondly, they were okay, but they didn't full on look like those cartoons. But these ones look amazing, but they're just crazy expensive. But it is cool that they exist even you know now. Um, the same people who did the new He-Man ones, are they got the rights to Thundercats. And that's, again, where fandom affects your collecting because Thundercats I remember liking as a kid, but I don't have strong, super passionate memories where I know me and my older brother were really into He-Man and had all the figures and stuff. So I'm not going to go out of my way to you know collect Thundercats. You have to prioritize. Building off of the idea of giving new life to old collectibles, particularly the ones that appeal to you from your youth, uh, I have to mention the Kenner Superpowers line yeah. of, of action figures once again. I've mentioned these on the show before, but the Superpowers, uh, Superman was the first Superman anything that I ever got. And as I've discussed previously, I think that was why when I saw the Death of Superman comic, it really jumped out at me because I had this this toy. Uh, and anyway, so, you know, that line of figures is, uh, you know, definitely a, a favorite of mine. On a side note, if anyone out there uh, collects those figures and wishes to discuss it on the show and you're in the tri-state area, please reach out to me. I've, I've tried uh, to recruit uh, some people to do this, and it just hasn't worked out, mostly due to location and distance. Um, but I would really love to really pick someone's brain who's, who's you know really collected these and cultivated a superpowers collection. But what I was going to say was... And Zach, you gave me a heads up about this, so I thank you. Gentle Giant, one of their San Diego Comic-Con exclusives, is a three-pack of micro figures of, the, of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman from that original Superpowers line. Um, I will be at San Diego Comic-Con. Oh. By the time this episode goes up, uh, the con will have passed, but as we're recording it, uh, I'm flying out there in a few days to uh, write stories for Bleeding Cool, but my primary i think my, my grail <laughs> as far as things that i want to get is going to be that three pack of uh, superpowers figures so um, I'm, I'm hopeful that i can grab it one last thing that i wanted to mention uh, zach you had brought this up uh, previously uh off off mic but um, the idea of justifying your collecting through other uses so i know for you right and I, this is in the documentary that i made about you but you know you used a lot of your muppet figures to create these stop motion videos yes and for me too now i just mentioned that um the gentle giant three pack of the superpowers micro figures i want it for myself i want it for my collection but being that this podcast is all about collecting i guess i also figure well maybe i'll get a good story out of it as well, and it's something that I can talk about on the show. So mm -hmm. that's sort of like my side justification sure. for it. But uh, I do think it's interesting that idea of you know sort of using them for something else beyond just the the collection aspect. Yeah, you know, for me, I've always been a fan of you know stop motion. Up with it's up there with puppetry for me of like you know creative expression, and I don't do as much of it as I like because of how time consuming it is. And I'm just one guy, and you know when they make these movies, they have teams, and you know you hear of how painstaking it is. Uh, just to make like a second of a film or video or anything like that. But I did do it in college for my senior project with the Muppet ones, and that was a lot of fun if, you know, a few sleepless nights on that and it, that were rough. But um, I kind of feel like that's still part of the goal of why I collect these. Well, gentlemen, I think that'll do it for us today. I want to thank you both very much for participating in this discussion. John Eric, thank you. And we look forward to having you back in a few episodes to talk about uh, being a dad and a collector. Thanks for having me, and I look forward to the next one. And Zach, thank you for coming back to the show again. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it was great. And uh, like we said, uh, the documentary featuring you, Wacky Man, The Rise of a Puppeteer, coming soon. Sure. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Hope listeners enjoyed this discussion. Uh, please keep tuning into future episodes. And until then, don't be a flat squirrel.